I'm glad that you're here today, and if, you've, if you're here for the first time, I'm glad that you've chosen today. And uh, if you're still checking it out, I hope today uh, gives you a peek into kind of uh, what we believe is important around here at Faith Community. We're going to kick off a brand new series today that I'm calling Fruitful. So for the next few weeks, when it's my turn at the podium, uh, we're going to be digging deep into two lines of Scripture. They're found in the New Testament, specifically in a book called Galatians, which is a letter that was written by Paul, who was one of the early followers of Jesus in the first century. Uh, We call him the Apostle Paul. You may know him as Saint Paul, depending on your church tradition. Paul traveled from city to city around the Mediterranean Rim, planting new churches, uh, visiting already established churches, helping them as they got established in this new faith that came to be known as Christianity. And after uh, Paul served in these churches, he would often follow up with letters. Some of those letters survived beyond the original audience, and some of them have been preserved for us and have been included uh, in what we know as the New Testament. So this book of Galatians was written to a church in a place called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Ever heard of Turkey? In the province of Ankara. Ever heard of the province of Ankara? Some of you have. I know you have, which is home to the capital city of Turkey, which is... Ankara, which is home to our missionaries, Josh and Sarah, who we support on a regular basis. So all that to say, Paul was a real person. He was a real historical person who wrote a real letter, probably more than one, to real people in a real church, living in a real city, in a real place. In case you're not sure if you heard me correctly, I did say two lines of Scripture. Basically, we're going to take nine or ten messages So if you like to take your time working through Scripture, like almost word for word, you might like this. Uh, If you you notice my teaching and in planning my teaching, I like to keep uh, a balance between topical teaching, which is where we focus primarily on a specific topic, like like battling mediocrity. That's how we opened the, the year. Or rethinking church that we did a few months ago. And then I also like to, on the other side of that, spend some time on a passage of Scripture, like the Sermon on the Mount. We did... A couple years ago, we did 19 messages over 10 months to cover the sermon, just three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to get into this passage, honestly, uh, because that series on the Sermon on the Mount that started in December of 2019 continued all the way through the the COVID pause where we did like virtual church online, and uh, that was all we had to do church with. And then when we came back and we were doing like... uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like social distancing, we had a maximum capacity, we're doing multiples, and we are doing our teaching on video, that series just carried all the way through that, and we simply called that series the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about Jesus' vision for life in the kingdom that he came to usher in, and he said that the kingdom is here, like the kingdom is here, and it's not yet fully here. So we got into the upside-down values of his kingdom, and it was some really challenging teaching. Like, I started off just teaching through the Beatitudes because that felt warm and fuzzy. And then I'm like, this is good. Let's keep going. And then we got into, you know, uh, let your light shine before men. That's great. That's a good one. And then I committed to doing the Sermon on the Mount, and then I got reading ahead. I'm like, oh, no. I have to teach on this stuff. So it was, it was challenging stuff to teach and t- challenging stuff to process and to listen to and to try to absorb into our lives. And, but sometimes I think when, um, when we're done teaching a series like that and spending all this time on some of the most famous teachings of Jesus, I sometimes feel like we should just go back and start all over again. It's like, I'm not sure that we're really getting it, right? The Sermon on the Mount, the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, the Golden Rule, those kinds of things, Right? 
Because here's the thing, we've gotten some stuff terribly wrong when it comes to the kingdom of God. Like, first of all, if you hear kingdom of God and all you think about is heaven and the afterlife, or maybe even the millennial kingdom, depending on how you interpret end times events, and that's all it is for you. Like, you're just waiting. Like, you can't wait. You're, like, you're just waiting for the kingdom of God. You can't wait for life in the kingdom of God. You're, if that's where you're sitting, you're missing it. Because the kingdom of God showed up when Jesus showed up. And he's called us to live our lives by the values of his kingdom. Here and now. And if that seems too hard or even impossible, don't be discouraged. It is impossible. All right? It is impossible to live out the values of the kingdom of Jesus apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when Jesus is getting ready to return to the Father after the resurrection, he told his followers in John 14, he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate, another a translation that says comforter, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. So with the arrival of the Holy Spirit in his fullness in Acts chapter 2 came a whole new way to be human, a whole new way to be with other people, a whole new metric for doing life, life in the kingdom of God. And that is what Paul is writing about here in Galatians. And I believe if we allow these, them to, these 22 words could actually have a significant impact on our lives the life of our church, as we move forward in the midst of all the division and the turmoil and the unknowns that seem, we seem to encounter everywhere that we're doing life. So one of the things that I'm excited about for this series is you're going to hear from some other people that you haven't really had a chance to hear from yet. These are people who are growing in their influence in our church, are contributing to the culture and the values of our church. It's a group of people that we're being really intentional about pouring into as they grow in their leadership and in their influence and giving them opportunities then to pour into you as well. So this is kind of a new day at Faith Community. We're really excited about growing our teaching team uh, here on Sundays, and we're going to do that in this series. It's our prayer that God would use this series to shape all of us to shape us into the people he's created us to be, he's called us to be, that he needs us to be for the church to thrive, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his kingdom flourishing here on earth. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we open our lives to him, the empowering presence of his spirit comes and dwells in us, beginning this process of transformation. And if we allow him, I believe he can use these next nine messages through this past short passage of scripture to really shape and mold us. And to that end, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we just invite your Holy Spirit into this place, into our hearts. Pray that you would just bring um, a clarity to our minds, that we'd be free from distractions, that we'd be able to focus on hearing your word today, and that we'd be able to just willingly and openly take that in. May each of us, in this moment, surrender our minds and our thoughts and our hearts and our motives and our dreams, surrender that to the work of the Holy Spirit for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this series, we're going to be parked in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. So throughout the series, we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which says this. 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And that last sentence, you've got to kind of go back and read the previous uh, sections of uh, passages from Galatians to get the context, because he's really writing to the Galatians about law and grace. And so he's just kind of referring back there to some of the things he's been writing about. So I know as you look at this verse, for those of you who maybe spent some time in church in the last, I'm going to say, I don't know, 20 years, I know right now, like if you grew up in the church, if you're a certain age and you grew up in the church, when you read that, you, there's this catchy little tune that's running through your head right now. Oh, yeah, and, and in, right now you're thinking about coconuts, right now. I know who you are, I can tell. And the others are like, what? Well, here's why, watch this. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't beat the fruit of the Spirit, cause the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit's not a banana. The fruit of the Spirit's not a banana. You wanna be a banana? You might as well hear it. You can't beat the fruit of the Spirit, cause the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. The fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. You want to be a watermelon. You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit's not a lemon. The fruit of the spirit's not a lemon. If you wanna be a lemon, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, cause the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, the fruit of the spirit's not a cherry. The fruit of the spirit's not a cherry. If you wanna be a cherry, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, cause the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Okay, everybody knows that grapes come in bunches, so everybody get in big bunches. The fruit of the spirit's not a grape. The fruit of the spirit's not a grape. You wanna be a grape? You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, cause the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Uh, first, well, there's some brilliant songwriting right there, and I owe you an apology. It's three, three minutes of your life you'll never get back, but uh, I will share that link with you so you can add that to your, your playlist and all that. So anyway, thanks for indulging me. That will not be the theme song of the series. That's the only time you have to sit through that, but uh, some of us like puppets. What can I say? Amen. 
I know who some of you are. In this letter to the Galatians, Paul gives us one of the most condensed descriptions of what happens when the Spirit of God really gets a hold of someone's life and begins to change them, and so to use one of Paul's words, to transform them. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and the Spirit of God is in you, at work in your life, then this is what you should look like, filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? So, so then it's like, okay then, great, so all right, ready, set, go, let's do it, okay, amen, let's go home. And it's like, let's do, let's do this stuff, okay, I'm committed, let's, let's just go do it, sounds simple enough. Nope. We all know it's not that simple. Like, how many of us actually feel good about ourselves after reading that list? I know I don't. I mean, maybe there are a couple things on there that I'm pretty, I'm not too bad at, depending on who I'm interacting with, but I know there's a lot of work to be done, right? So let's be clear. We can't just go and be this, okay? Like, growing and changing and transforming as a human being is a slow, difficult, deliberate process. We all know that. We don't just wake up one day and decide we're instantly, you know, going to have all these character traits and like, bam, it's all done. Has that ever worked for you? We've tried it and it doesn't work no longer than like a couple days. You might make it all the way to next Sunday. I don't know if you're really committed to the pro- to, to, to just you know, putting the work in. I don't know. But I haven't had success with that, not approaching it that way. And I don't think you have either. So I hope this is encouraging to you because here's the thing. This is not a challenge. It's not a challenge. It's not about trying to do something. It's not about trying to do your best for God. This is about what God can do when we allow His Spirit to work in us. It's a snapshot of what He wants to produce in us. So we all have these issues or traits, this baggage or patterns of thinking or deep flaws in our character or ways that we process things or behavior that's self-destructive or the way that we treat others or deal with circumstances. And these things don't don't like just go away overnight. And you may be trying to like work at them and you're trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to let him lead your life, you know, but they just keep coming back somehow and they don't seem to ever like really go away. And if we're honest, that can be frustrating because like why is it that real deep character change is such a slow process in our lives? Is there something wrong with, with us? Is there something wrong with me? Like why do, why, why, why do we do, like what do we do when it seems like, like the, this battle between the new you and the old you is just constantly colliding and we aren't, it's like one step forward, two steps back. We're never making any progress. What's the deal with that? If we take these verses, the fruit of the Spirit, and we put them into the context of the overall letter that Paul is writing to these followers of Jesus, because context is key when it comes to understanding a a passage of Scripture. So if we do that and put it into context, we can see this tension between the old self and the new self is exactly what Paul was wrestling with in this letter. The book of Galatians becomes one of Paul's most beautiful kind of explorations of the Spirit's role in this long process of changing and transforming to become more like Jesus, because that's the goal, right? To help, so to help us understand, I want to reframe this concept for us a little bit. I love this metaphor. That's what this is. It's a metaphor that Paul uses in verse 22 in, in describing the Spirit's work in our lives as producing fruit. And it's really, I think, really important any time that you see in the, the, a New Testament author using a metaphor like this, or Jesus used metaphors like this too, it's important to kind of just stop and pause and try to 
figure out like what are the layers here? Like because the fact that he uses this image is kind of a window into how Paul sees this whole transformative process, how it works out in our lives. So, so let me just kind of reframe this in a way that I think maybe might be helpful for us to understand. I know some of you like to garden. Like, I didn't know that was a verb, but you like to garden. And so, so some of you like to work with flowers. You like to plant vegetable gardens. I don't know much about gardening. At all. Well, no, let me rephrase that. I don't know anything about gardening or anything that grows in dirt, except for what I learned spending time with my grandfather in his vegetable garden. Now, my grandfather, my mom's dad, uh, they had this incredible vegetable garden. And uh, it was big. They lived in the city, but they had a big lot, and they filled like every square inch of it with garden. So we grew up about five hours away from our grandparents, but we visited, you know, a few times a year. And I remember visiting at all different times of the year. And I remember watching him like till the soil and working all the sections and all the rows and all the work that went into it before he ever planted any seeds, right? And I remember Grampy, as he got older, at the end of every harvest, he would always say, well, next year we're going we're gonna to go smaller. We're going to have a smaller garden next year. We're going to be a little smaller because this is a lot of work, so the garden's going to be smaller next year. And by the time spring rolled around, the garden managed to be just as big as last year, if not maybe a little bit bigger. And some of you are nodding your heads because you know this, you've experienced this. It never got smaller. So if you're, if you're a gardener, I guess you can get, understand this phenomenon. So every time we visited, except for those like Christmas visits, uh, we were recruited to help in the garden, you know, weeding and watering and pruning and harvesting. And I think even then I saw it more as time spent with my grandfather. But I also remember thinking, my, I don't, like, my, my grandparents are not poor. Why, why don't they just, like, we were at the store earlier today. Why don't they just buy their vegetables at the store? This is a lot of work. Now, for those of you who've never had a vegetable garden, uh, you should know it's, it's really hard work. It sounds beautiful and romantic and nostalgic and fun and all that, but it's really hard work. There's a reason why people like me buy their vegetables at the store, all right? There's a reason that, you, yeah, you too, because here's what you can't do when you plant a garden. You can't just drop the seeds in the ground and walk away for eight weeks and expect to come back and the garden be full of amazing fruit and vegetables you can just go out and pick now and enjoy and eat to your heart's content. You can't just neglect a garden. If you left it for like six weeks, guaranteed, you, you come back with a garden full of weeds. Not weed, that's a different crop, and I don't know if that got you excited, but if so, we can have that conversation later. But uh, got your attention now. I knew, I knew I could get your attention somehow. Left alone, your garden will be overrun with weeds. Now, there may be a few plants that can fight their way through that because they're really hardy, and if you actually like, want to take a plot of ground and produce lots of fruits and vegetables, what do you have to do? Well, you have to, first of all, you have to learn to be a gardener. Like, you have to learn which plants will thrive in this climate. What is the growing season? You have to learn patterns of watering and which plants need how much and how to fertilize properly and what kind of fertilizer each plant needs. And you need to learn what a weed is and be diligent about pulling out the weeds so they don't take over the garden and keep the plants from being able to grow. You have to learn how to spot things like mildew and blight and mold and how to treat it. And you have to learn how to deal with pests and predators. I mean, you need to basically wrap your plants in barbed wire and bubble wrap just to make sure the deer don't eat them, right? I mean, don't do that. It's not a good idea. Don't, I've never seen that work. But the idea that one day you can have this beautiful garden that's flourishing and all these amazing vegetables are on their way to being ready to harvest 
harvest. And the next morning, it can be totally decimated because a couple deer found your garden. You know, they think it basically looks like a delicious salad bar and help themselves. And you just want to grow some food, right? Not, so not only did it take a tremendous amount of time, and energy to prepare the soil and plant the seeds and water and weed and repeat, now you have these outside influences, these things that you can't anticipate, you can't fully prepare for, you can't control that come and decimate your garden. So let's just say after the deer come or whatever kind of critter comes and destroys your harvest, we still have a little bit of fruit that we can take out of the garden. Like maybe, maybe some tomatoes survive. Maybe the deer didn't like tomatoes for whatever reason i don't know why you would have tomatoes in a vegetable garden but anyway that's another thing so we have tomatoes left and we managed to maybe salvage a little bit of lettuce maybe some maybe a cucumber and we make this salad a salad from our garden and there's a tremendous amount of work that went into preparing and cultivating and defending this garden so that it could grow but even after all of that can i actually sit down at that meal and say i grew this tomato can I actually say that? Because did I grow? Like, think this, is that actually true? Did I grow that tomato? No, I didn't grow the tomato. What did I do? I was the gardener who did a lot of work to prepare and provide an environment where fruit could be grown. And how does that fruit actually grow? Well, there's a, there's a huge ball of gas very far away that we circle around every 365 days or so, and it emits a huge amount of energy and heat, and that's crucial. But how much control do I have over that thing? Zero. And how much control do I have over the amount of rain that falls in the summer? Zero. How much control do I have over the genetic structure and health of a tomato plant? Not a whole lot. And then there's this whole thing that we learned about in fifth grade called photosynthesis. That We all like the word, but we don't understand what it is. We don't even remember that that's a thing. I have no control over any of those things. And that's what grows fruit. So what grows fruit are these forces and realities that are way, way outside of my capability that I have no control over. And yet, my role as the gardener is crucial, isn't it? And I don't grow the fruit. But I can definitely hinder the growth of the fruit if I don't play my role as the gardener. Now it's becoming clearer why Paul's using this metaphor to talk about the work of the Spirit in our lives. When the Spirit is at work in my life, <coughs> it is this outside influence, right? It's not about the things that I'm doing. It's the Spirit of God who is trying to influence and address things in my life and change me and transform me into becoming more like Jesus. And I'm not in control of all of that. That needs to come from something outside of myself because I said it's impossible for, for us to just like drum it up on our own. I can't change my character on my own. But at the same time, I can help or hinder this growth process in my life. You and I can help or hinder this growth process in our lives. In another letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he says, you can grieve the Spirit to the extent that you can extinguish the work of the Spirit in your life. And if you can do that in your life, then it affects the community that you live in, in your church community or in your greater community. We can do all kinds of things to minimize the work of the Spirit. And that's the issue that Paul is getting at in this whole chapter. So in verse 22, if we can pull that back up on the screen, Josh, Paul offers hope as we learn to become better gardeners. He says, here's the fruit. 
Here is what the Spirit of God wants to grow in our lives if we'll partner with the work of the Spirit. If we declare that we want our lives to be this fertile ground where the Spirit can grow these Jesus-centered character traits. And notice, it's fruit. It's not fruits. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's nine different facets of the same thing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit displayed in your life. So, why does any of this matter? Why is it important for us to cultivate our hearts for the work of the Spirit in our lives? Because it sounds like hard work. It sounds like something we have to be really intentional about, right? In John chapter 15, verse 8, I love how this reads in the New King James. Jesus says this to his followers. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to bring glory to God, which means to acknowledge Him for who He is and what He does. And one of the ways that we actually do that is by producing good fruit and allowing that good fruit to be produced in us, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us, to transform our lives, shaping us to be more like Jesus and demonstrating to the people around us what the power of God can actually do in someone's life. And through that, God receives glory. Now, maybe you're just at the beginning stages of exploring faith and you're trying to figure out what this all means, like to follow Jesus, and maybe you've had some interactions with Christians in your life, and maybe they didn't really demonstrate many of the traits on this, this list in Galatians 5, or you've seen people in the news who claim to be Christians or basically seem to be doing the opposite of what Paul says should be the fruit demonstrated in the life of someone who follows Jesus. To you, I would say this. You're exactly right. I mean, I've experienced the same thing in my life, and you have too. It's exactly why this matters so much. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are his representative here on earth. And I would say now more than ever, we need to be known for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Can you imagine the impact? And this doesn't happen overnight. But if we do the work to provide a well-cultivated garden, do all that we can to protect it from predators, God promises that fruit will begin to grow. And over time, as the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we begin to develop a heightened sensitivity to His leadership. That's one of the, just something I really want you to, to, to take home and, and, and as we move through this series. The idea of developing this heightened sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So maybe you've listened so far, and I, as I've talked about the Holy Spirit, it, maybe that's even freaking you out a little bit because it sounds a little bit spooky, or maybe you had bad experiences in other churches around the work of the Spirit or whatever. Well, when the Scriptures des- describe the Holy Spirit, the words that the Scriptures use are counselor, comforter, helper, guide who will teach us, he'll lead us. There's nothing strange or spooky about that. His methods are gentle. He doesn't shout. And we need to be sensitive to that kind of leadership, to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that way. The Holy Spirit leans into gentleness and healing and comfort. And He often comes to us in a gentle nudge, a prompting like a tap on the shoulder or a whisper into our thoughts. I think sometimes 
we miss him because we're looking for big, impressive experiences that we want God to like send lightning and thunder and tell us plainly what to do. But generally, it's like a gentle nudge. It's like, are you listening? Do I have your attention? It's more like a whisper that only the ears of our hearts can discern. He will guide us, but we have to be sensitive to the work of the Spirit. We need to be tuned in, listening for Him. I don't know about you, but I kind of stink at that most of the time. I'm not very good at making everything around me just be quiet. I'm not very good at shutting down all the noise in my brain and just listening. I almost always leave my cell phone on vibrate. I don't know about you or silent, or vibrate, usually on vibrate. I've never been a fan of a ringing phone, period. But I'm really not a fan of smartphone notifications. It just drives me. So rather than constantly tweaking my notification settings every time that they push an, uh, an update in the middle of the night and now I have to reset all my notification settings, I just leave it on vibrate all the time. I just, that's my preference. Which works well when I want to have an uninterrupted conversation or I want to go out to dinner or whatever, but doesn't work very well in my favor when I've misplaced my phone. Oh, I've been there. When I'm ready to go out the door and I can't find my phone. And if I'd left the ringer on, all I have to do is grab Alethea's phone or one of my other connected devices and call my phone, right? And that would take me to it. But when I've misplaced my phone and it's on vibrate and I call it to locate it, I've done it in this building. And I have to be still and listen for that slight vibration Then I go to the sound and it reveals what I'm looking for. So I can do metaphors too. While the Spirit of God, <laughs> while the Spirit of God is at work in us, and while He's producing the character of Jesus, the nature and fruit that is in keeping with our walk with Him, our sensitivity to His promptings, to His leadership actually grows. So how do we do this? Like how do we position ourselves in such a place where this fruit is produced in us. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And if you're wondering, well, how do I do this? You can't. You don't. You don't produce fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. Like if you're, here's the thing, like if you're going into the fruit business, okay, for example, and you wanted to produce, let's just say oranges and apples, okay, you want to, you want to, you're going to go into the fruit production business, you would not open a factory, you don't open a factory and say, we're going to manufacture this fruit because fruit isn't manufactured. You might open a warehouse or a facility to pack it or ship it or turn it into other stuff, but when it comes to actually producing fruit, you can't manufacture it. You can manufacture something artificial, something that may imitate it, but when it comes to the real stuff, the real fruit, you don't manufacture it like it's cars or clothes or electronics. Fruit is produced over time as it grows on a vine that is, well, that is living in a well-cultivated garden. That's exactly the picture that Jesus paints for us in John 15 and verse 4 where he says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit and apart from me, oh, by the way, you can do nothing. 
This is the message that Jesus gave his followers shortly before his death. So in this moment, he knew that he wasn't going to be with them much longer, and he wanted them to know that beautiful fruit would be produced in them if they stayed connected to him. And it's not about you know, trying to like make ourselves more loving or more joyful or more peaceful or more... It's not about trying to accomplish these things for God. It's not the, the Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist that we need to work our way through. It's about opening ourselves up and allowing God to work in us. So our challenge is to be sensitive to his prompting, to be sensitive to his working, to, be, to humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to him, to recognize that we need the work of God in us to do what he wants to do in us. And we may have to just learn to be just quiet enough to listen and to hear the whisper of God to be still, to be sensitive, to be submitted, to be surrendered as he produces in us what he wants to produce. Then we're able to do for him what we were designed to do. I think this is a time in our lives, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, but some people who consider themselves followers of Jesus have, seems like they've abandoned or set aside some of the things that are actually foundational to who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. So that's why I think it's a really important time for us to spend exploring and meditating on the fruit of the Spirit and understand that these are the things God has called us to be. This is His dream for us. And we don't want to miss that because in a world that in so many ways is crazier than it's ever been and often very dark, we don't want to miss the opportunity that, it presents, that presents itself in the darkness to shine the light of Jesus. So let's make that our prayer as we wade through this series over the next few weeks. God, just create in me what it is that you want, who it is that you want me to be. And if this, listen, if this describes you, and if, you, if this is connected with you, and you felt this struggle between wanting to be one thing and struggling to always go back to something else, and maybe you've never right, acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, as your leader, as your guide, if you've never taken that step with him to say, I see what you've done for me, Lord, I receive that, I want your spirit to be at work in my life, you can do that today, you can, you can have that conversation with him today. He invites you to follow him, he invites you into relationship with him, but he's not going to force his way in, that's not his way, he's not going to impose himself on you. That's on us. It's on us to accept the invitation, an invitation to relationship, an invitation to restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if you're still exploring and still questioning and maybe still wondering, I want to just encourage you today, stick with that and stick with us for these few weeks and, and just see the, the, see the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, I hope that today, we're just setting this up, so I hope today is a challenge for us to dig a little deeper, to start cultivating that soil, to start building that protection around the garden, right? To start doing the work that we are responsible to do to create space and openness and fertile ground for God to work in our lives. And I'm just looking forward to what God's going to do with these 22 words over the next few months, and my hope that you'll come al- is that you'll come along with us on this journey. Because here's the thing. Hancock County needs the light of Jesus. We need to be light in our community, in our families, in our workplaces. And that can only happen through the work of the Spirit in our lives because we can't do that on our own. We don't bring that on our own. 
So will you put your trust in Jesus in this process? Will you put your trust in the work of the Spirit? Will you open up your life and cultivate the ground of your heart so that God could produce some good fruit in us that would impact our world? And can we commit together to this process? I believe God wants to use every single one of us in this community at this time to bring the good news of who Jesus is to a hurting, broken world. And he's inviting all of us to be a part of that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person who's here today, who has listened so intently, been so responsive. Thank you, wherever they are in their journey with you, thank you that we're here together today. For those who need it today, I pray that they'd see hope. That they'd find hope in you. Hope in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That each of us would see that this is not about striving and working hard and trying really hard to be these things or do these things, but that, Lord, you want to be at work in us. So give us courage to cultivate space and room and fertile soil in our lives. Help us to quiet our thoughts, to quiet our minds, to listen for your still, small voice, to pay attention to the nudge, the whispering. Help us to be people who embrace the work of the Holy Spirit, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it costs us something, so that we could be people who produce good fruit, who are authentic representatives of you in this world. Use us to impact the people around us. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that you invite us to come alongside of you to be a part of what you're already doing, where you're already working in the world. Give us courage. Give us encouragement. I pray that we would see you at work in our lives this week and in the weeks to come. We pray all these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.